Today is December 7th, which makes it the 78th anniversary of the attack on Pearl Harbor. It's one of those moments when people always remember exactly where they were when they heard the news. I obviously was not yet born, and to be honest, neither were my parents. Yes, but I know where my grandparents were at that time. They were in Times Square about to go see a show because they were in New York on their honeymoon. They had just gotten married on November 29th, which happens to have been my grandmother's birthday. December 7th, 1941 is certainly a day that lives in infamy. The events of that day changed the course of life for millions, if not billions, of people, and even myself included, though the outcome that affected me was far less substantial than what affected, I think, a lot of other people. Less than a year later, on November 16th, 1942, my grandfather, Lawrence Botnick, still in his first year of marriage, having just turned 22 years old, enlisted in the Army. He would undergo basic training in Colorado and California before shipping out to France in January 1945. He served there as a corporal in the 89th Infantry Division, 353rd Regiment. They captured and liberated towns all across the Moselle region, including the liberation of the Buchenwald concentration camp. I never knew this information until recently, because my grandfather never spoke about the war with the family, as most of the generation did. My grandfather was killed when I was nine months old, so I never had a chance to even ask him. But three years ago, during Shiva for my grandmother, we uncovered a lot of information that had been tucked away amongst boxes of photographs. Now, I'll never forget that experience for as long as I live. I was flipping through photo after photo of my grandfather joking with his fellow soldiers while overseas, or traveling with my grandmother while training here in the States. And then I came across a photo that stopped me dead in my tracks. Here we go. It might be hard for you to see, so I will describe it to you. There's a photo of my grandfather in uniform, standing on a bluff overlooking a beautiful bay. On either side of him are some wildflowers. And in the background, you can see the bluff on the opposite side of the bay and the gentle slope of the mountains even further in the distance. It's a beautiful photo, right? But not necessarily one that would stop you dead in your tracks unless you yourself had taken an almost identical photo about 65 years after this photo was taken wow. and seven years before ever seeing this photo in the first place. You can see, I took the second photo here in, January, in 2009. It was just before I started rabbinical school. I moved back from Israel and I'd gone on a camping trip in Big Sur, my friend and I had just set up camp at Plaskett Creek. And we decided to go for a walk out to Sand Dollar Beach to take in the views. And I was so overwhelmed by the beauty of that sunset that it was the first time in my life I'd ever felt the need to pray. Not that I was obligated to, but I, I needed to pray. So I daven mincha there and then. And then I took this photo. And in the morning I came back 
and I dive in Shachri with my tefillin and all that. This location was so special to me that for our honeymoon, I insisted that Rose and I go up to Big Sur because I wanted her to see this beauty for herself. That was in 2013, just over three years before seeing my grandfather's photo for the first time. Right? Pretty, pretty wild. And actually, if you, if you look kind of closely, I mean, you can see the exact same, it's the same bay, and even the wildflowers down here in the corner, the exact same wildflowers that are there in my, father, in my grandfather's photo. So if you want to see them closer, you can see them later, but they're up here. So what is it about some places that they feel so holy? And not only for us, but also for others, sometimes even for others who they themselves are important to us, even without them telling us about those places. In this week's parsha, Vayetze, we read about Yaakov's dream, the dream of the ladder, where he sees angels going up and down, up from the earth and down from the heavens in that order. And God is next to him speaking, saying that God will protect him and bless him and give him this land where he is sleeping. Yaakov wakes up and realizes that indeed there is holiness right here on earth. And so he says, Surely God is in this place, and I did not know it. But do you know who did know that there was God in that place? Avram. Not yet Avraham. Avram. Back in Parshat Lech Lecha, Avram sets out for Egypt with Sarai and Lot. But on the way down, he stops off at the outskirts of an area called Beit El, where God speaks to him and says that God will give him that land, that God will give that land to Avram and to his descendants. And so Avram builds an altar there, just as Yaakov does in our Parsha. And Avram starts preaching the gospel of monotheism before continuing his trip down south. Somehow, somehow the holiness of that land and even the altar that was built on that land was lost during the lifetime of Yitzchak. Now, the reason why is a whole separate sermon and Hamevin Yavin, but whatever reason, it was not passed down to Yaakov. But the holiness of that place was so intense that even though Yaakov never knew his grandfather, nor did he know explicitly that there was something special about that place, he couldn't help but experience the divine in Beit El. I'm sure most of us have felt at least a taste of this at some point in our lives. Maybe you're on holiday in the mountains, or standing in the middle of the shuk, or you've stepped into a gorgeous cathedral. For whatever reason, you just feel something powerful in that time space. The Romans had a term for this, genius loci, genius loci. The literally means the spirit or the deity of a location. And in the Shinto tradition, right, they call this kami. In the, today, though, in the, the West, we're a bit uncomfortable with such language of these gods or deities. So instead, you might hear people speak of a soul place, which is a location where your soul feels at home. Neil Gaiman summarized this phenomenon best, I believe, in his novel, American Gods. If you haven't read it, do yourself a favor. It's a fantastic novel. And he says, his character Wednesday says, quote, 
In other countries, over the years, people recognized the power, the places of power. Sometimes it would be a natural formation. Sometimes it would just be a place that was somehow special. They knew that something important was happening there, that there was some focusing point, some channel, some window to the imminent. And so they would build temples or cathedrals or erect stone circles or, well, you get the idea. He continues, he says, in the USA, people still get the call, or some of them, and they, find them, and they feel themselves being called to from the transcendent void. And they respond to it by building a model of, out of beer bottles of somewhere they'd never visited, or by erecting a gigantic bat house in the part of some, in part of the country, some part of the country that bats have traditionally declined to visit. Roadside attractions. It ends there. It's really an unbelievably hilarious and powerful book. Definitely read it. The thing with these soul places, though, is that you have to be quiet and still enough for your body to sense them. There's a reason Avram and Yaakov sensed God on a mountaintop, or why my grandfather and I sensed something special on a bluff in Big Sur. These are places mostly void of other people, where you are surrounded and awed by the beauty of nature. The crash of waves, the rustling of leaves, howling of wind, they all drown out other noise. In other words, these places, which are so often identified as soul places, are perfectly aligned for spiritual experience. But the chances that relatives across generational lines would have such profound experiences in the exact same soul place? Only God can explain that one. I can't. But if you've never had the chance to experience a soul place, worry not. Because Shabbat too is almost perfectly aligned for spiritual experience. It's a day that allows us to block out noise. And it's a day when our homes, if we choose, can be void or mostly void of other people. And with no work to do, we can go on long walks to the beach, to the park, or just around the neighborhood and enjoy the beauty of nature. It was Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel who said, quote, the Sabbaths are our great cathedrals, the Jewish equivalent of sacred architecture, end quote. And if cathedrals are designed to honor the holiness found in a given place, then maybe Shabbat is designed to honor the holiness found in a given moment. However you find your connection to the holy, whether it be in a breathtakingly beautiful soul place or in this very Shabbat, I hope your experience is both profound and everlasting. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat shalom.